What is up, bums? I hope you guys are having a great day today. I know me and Eddie are. JK. Um, with that being said, bums, we have a great episode for you guys today. We're going to be continuing on our Race in America. This will be part two where we uh talk about Asian Americans and African Americans. Um, but before we get into that, bums, please check out our uh, social media on Instagram, T-H-E-B-U underscore M-S. On there, if you check out the, uh, our page, you can see the link to our website, I believe. I don't actually know. I haven't looked in a while. But if you don't, if it's not, check us out at www.strugglingbums.com where you can see us post blogs. Mainly Eddie because I suck. Um, I, I'm not a writer at the moment. Maybe once I get done with school, which I technically haven't started just yet. A couple weeks or a week, I should say. But that being said... Eddie, my man, you doing all right today? I, I know we're, we're, we're the bums are struggling a little bit. I, I'm feeling. I see you're turning your back. Mine hurts. I worked out at four, four, four sorry, five forty this morning, trying to do that a little bit more, and it sucks. But yeah, yeah I mean, I'm all right, dude. I'm doing better. I just had a fat migraine, or started to get one last night, so I fell asleep at night. I missed a text from the boys to play Apex. Oh, you hate to see. And it. I was like, dude, I'm sorry, man. I passed out at nine thirty. Like, and for those that know me, that's not normal for me to yeah. do that so i woke up yeah my back still tight and stuff but yeah i wasn't okay. right all right that being said eddie how how do you how do you like think that Ooh. african Americans have been treated in america as a whole i understand that we could get very specific right and, right. and, and, and let me preface again bums that are listening when you guys listen to this again do your own research these are just me and eddie's opinions on you know what we've seen in our own life and our own experiences and we're just I'll kind add of on this is also our interpretation of the research we've done whether that's across history pbs pew research times a lot of other places and yes. as well as any articles that come up like the uh national institute of health and things like that so this isn't just our opinions i want i want to make yeah. that clear but this is also yeah. our interpretations in our experiences right yeah right yeah same goes for the other episode we did yeah. yes so so how oh, yeah. they've been, uh, dude, I think one of the best examples for me, uh, for those that uh, don't know, back in college, there was a tennis player, I think, where she had her own podcast at Oregon. Is that Nate? Oh, no, I'm thinking. Uh, or is she a softball player? She was she was one of the other athletes at University of Oregon. I forget what team she played for. She did a mental uh, health podcast with us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Julia is something. Julia is something. Yeah. We, so she did with a couple of different players for like different sports. And then for Black History Month, she did a group one with like Setu Sabali, Javon Holland, and a few other athletes. Uh, really good one. And on there, Javon Holland, which we can name because he's a professional athlete. He's out there. You guys should know who he is. Or at least you can look him up. He's on the Dolphins. Shout out to a gigantic uh, anime fan if you guys don't know. Ron's with very it. true very true Ron's um he talked about one time he and the homies went to target and he literally got followed around by some of their employees and he was like the one of the only people that noticed it everyone else wasn't really paying attention he said all right he told everyone's like yo listen we're gonna split up see if anyone gets followed it's like all right cool so they all went different directions and like they pretty much all got picked up or followed by people and then finally he was like they all came back together and he's like look man like i get it See a lot of like taller, muscular, darker skinned individuals because it wasn't just all black kids. It was also some uh, uh, Polynesian kids and players and stuff like that too. So like they're all together. He's like, like I get it, man. You might have some thoughts about this stuff, but like 
look, we go to the University of Oregon. We play these sports. We're human beings. You don't need to do this. Like, this is so unnecessary. I think that really encapsulates how African-Americans have been treated in the United States. And black people in general in the United States. Um, it sucks, you know? It's like you get put on this negative pedestal where you have to keep everything as, as tight as possible or within the within the parameters. Um, and, you know, we'll touch on it, and I'll definitely touch on it because I had to study this in my master's program when I'm talking about uh, diversity and inclusion in sports and stuff like that. But, like, even even hairstyles have to be muted, uh, which is really unfortunate uh, when it comes to the business world, sports world. Um, and we've seen it. We've had to see, you know, African black athletes in different sports have to cut their hair, do different things. And Serena, I think they've talked about it before. Serena Williams had to talk about it before. Um, and it sucks. You know, there's extra scrutiny on there. I mean, we got black people that can't get jobs because they have dreads. Like, bro, how does that fucking affect their business? It doesn't. And I get people can talk to me. Well, actually, the optics of it and this, like, fuck that optics shit. If they can do the job, do their job. You know, that's why I loved Al Davis and all the shit that he did. He didn't give a shit. He bought on these people because he knew that they were good for the program. He didn't give a shit about optics. So, yeah, I mean, that that does suck, you know, and we'll get more into that. But, yeah, that's kind of my uh, preface for this episode. Yeah, I think my perspective would be just overall, again, a, a group of Americans that are doing their damnness for the most part to fit in and just still not getting that recognition. And I think it's a lot of... Uh, Lack of just overall respect. I mean, I think that's a grand theme, again, where I go with when it comes in terms of races and racism, racism and stuff like that. I just think a lot of lack of respect and a lot of, I don't know, I just, it's so tough. I mean, it, it feels like, I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard for me to speak on it too much just because I'm, you know, for those who don't know, I'm half black, half white, white passing. Um, pretty light, even a light skin, I guess. But, um, I mean, but I don't know. I mean, I've had my own issues with being half black in America and like, I'm pretty white passing for the most part. I mean, you can tell that I'm not fully white, but it's pretty, you know, from a distance you would be able to, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just very complex, which I hope we can maybe divulge more into. With that being said, Eddie, um, how, how do you feel about, why do you sorry reading it how i wrote it versus trying to say it but why do african americans have so many issues why why or sorry why does america why do americans and when i say that i'm talking about everybody that's not african-american have issues with african-americans uh i mean there's definitely a long history <laughs> where, where do we start i, I mean yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, even with the last episode, we talked about Hispanic, Latinos, and indigenous peoples. Like, where do you want to start, man? Do you want to start with yeah. the genocide? Do you want to start with the chattel slavery? Like, where, where are we I mean, trying to start here? Let's start with the origins. I think you're talking about a group of people that, I mean, I can't speak, I guess, for immigration past, I don't know, uh, in the later days of the United States, in like the 1900s. But you're talking about for a majority of people that were systematically brought here against their will. Now it's fair. It's totally fair to admit that there were tribe, you know, there were tribes in Africa that were selling these people to European slave, uh, slaveholders, slave, slave, slavers. I don't know what your title, the title is. Um, to the point though, but you know, it's it's not a great start. It's not your t stereotypical American dream. Came here on a boat with a dollar in your pocket, 
to make something. You know, these people were brought here to perform free labor. And don't let Ron DeSantis or fucking Prager you or all these other stupid fucks. And I mean that the meanest way possible to trick you into thinking there were benefits to it. Fuck no. For, sorry, there were no benefits for the African-Americans. There were benefits for the white people that enslaved them. Um, I mean, yeah, slavery. I think we've talked about this, Eddie, and I still think it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, in my opinion, overall as a whole. I'm not, I'm not trying to use that as a competition either. I'm not saying other events weren't as bad. But I think for me, you know, in my own, again, personal opinion, you know, it's had the most deaths out of anything as a whole. Not t- not talking about the entire United States on that, but um, just as a system in itself. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know. Starting that off, you know, it's not a great start at all. And then the fact that even after, you know, 18, after the Civil War, which there had to be, a Civil War had to be fought to essentially give African-Americans their freedom. You know, and even then, you know, the whole reason for Juneteenth is because people in fucking Texas were just like, nah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna follow the rules, even though we lost the war. And it wasn't until I believe the Union Army is, if I remember right, how I understood Juneteenth, the Union Army had to go down there and enforce it. But long story short, you know, even after you have this civil war, all the people that were formerly slave owners, they just change all the rules in society to basically make it where, again, it makes it damn near impossible for African-Americans to be integrated into regular society. And you have this Jim Crow bullshit go on for, and segregation go on for a hundred fucking years, essentially, so you get to the 1960s, and then it's like pulling fucking teeth, and then some, to then get everything to be fair, per se, you know? And even then, and here in 2023, you know, there's still a lot of issues. So, I mean, that's how Americans, I think that's fair to say that historically speaking, Americans have been pretty negative towards African Americans. And I wouldn't say until, I don't know, maybe the 60s that there were finally some positive outlooks on them. And it's gotten better, I think, as a overall, but it's still been a rough go. What about you, Eddie? What are your thoughts? Uh, I wanted to come back to the comment on the Ford education and how that's been popping up recently. Uh, it's one thing that is a misconception, but besides the fact that they were able to build the actual infrastructure, especially the South, um, they came over with like something that something that I think a lot of United States citizens really don't think about. Uh, not only did they just build our fucking economy, especially in the South, and when we think about indigenous people in general, you know, Spaniards came over, and this is something that I feel more confident discussing, and I'll bring it back to this point. Spaniards came over and thought Mayans and Aztecs were fucking savages, whatever, right? They were creating fucking whole-ass planned cities, unlike parts of Europe. They had complex language systems and astronomy. Um, They knew how to count stars, predict fucking eclipses that Europeans couldn't do. Indigenous people up in North America knew how to farm the land, get around the land, do all these things, have oral traditions be passed down. 
understand how to predict weather and movements of animals. To treat black people as if there was nothing they could have learned and that we had to teach them everything is so false. They had to bring over their own blacksmithing. They weren't taught that shit. They were doing it better than we were in a lot of ways. They were the ones that knew how to use river systems, helped us plant crops. I mean, the fucking cotton gin was created by a black man, for God's sake. So, like, to think for one second that, yes, in any way, slavery benefited black people is completely false. On top of that, to think in any way that, oh, yeah, they learned a lot of great skills over here. They couldn't fucking use the skills anyways. Like, even for one second, if we thought, and this is something that I shout out the Head in the Office podcast. Even for one second, if we were like, yeah, they learned skills. Did they even get to use those skills for any monetary value? No. Like, they, the, the Head in the Office podcast talk about how in, like, Tennessee, like, uh, they had to bring in some black workers that were better at working construction and building plans for it and doing complex work than the white people there. And it's like, they did it. And like, did they get paid for it? No, most of them died before they could really even get any like value from that. So like, yeah, I guess if you want to hide behind this veneer that these black people enslaved learned, it's not like they got to fucking use it in any positive way for themselves or for their children. So <laughs> that kind of goes up in the air. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me. And I'm trying to look up the stuff that I think it's getting lost in the whole idea that they built so many uh, goods for uh, our economy. Uh, I'll look it up right now if you want to keep going and then I'll come back to it. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes back to, I don't know, maybe they just didn't even get much of a fucking chance from the get-go. And then even when they think they've made it in the terms of the Civil War, you know, things are still almost as bad. Like, I just, I mean, there's very, it's just, it's, I mean, it's an improvement, but how much more? Because we're talking about sharecropping, where essentially all these former slave owners that own all this farmland are, you know, quote unquote, renting all this shit to African Americans at a price that, to the point where, African-Americans that are working the land and still doing the same jobs that they previously did for the most part are making just enough money to pay for the rentals, you know, the rental of their housing, the rental of their utilities, the rental of the tools, but just enough money for those rentals, but not enough to do anything else, not enough to really buy the land from the per se owners, you know, and it's just, it's that, you know, it's the fact that the Union Army has to come down which they only did for a little bit. And I think that's probably a huge reason why we have a lot of modern issues because at the time, I think the Union Army down stayed till 1968, 60, 69, I believe. Things weren't so bad, but they were constantly, yeah, they were constantly, if you guys ever read, like they were constantly getting into battles. Sorry, battles is too big of a word. We'll just call it fights with small Southern militias because they were pissed that African-Americans would get a plot of land. And, you know, maybe this is a good time to even bring up reparations to a certain extent because there was, you know, a spoken, I don't know if it was like a handshake agreement exactly to my understanding, but basically everybody for reparations for what had been done to them, they were supposed to get like 40 acres and a mule and it just never fucking happened, you know, and that's why we have the conversations we have to today because I think out of yeah, this is just my opinion. I could be totally wrong. Out of all the minorities that have come to America, I mean, African-Americans, in my opinion, have gotten the worst shake overall. 
Now, I think it's totally unfair. As I say, I, I will call myself a hypocrite. And I do think it's very unfair to, again, judge how bad it is for one group versus the other. And I think that, I think is, in my opinion, probably comes down from the system in America batting races against each other to a certain extent. Yeah, it's like, you know, as we talked about in the last episode, I don't think it's fair to compare the African-American experience to what the Native Americans went through versus what Hispanics and Latinos went through. They were all probably equally as bad in different ways. You know, and it doesn't do anybody any good to play the whose life sucks more game, you know. But, I mean, I, again, I have my own preferences just from my own experiences. I'm always going to feel probably a certain type of way about it, just like anybody else does, you know. But I'll also be completely honest and trying to be my most authentic self and admitting that I do realize those issues in what I was just saying. Go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, basically, uh, slaves brought over how to grow watermelon, okra, yam, black-eyed peas, and peppers, in addition to their knowledge of weaving, basketry, wood carving, metalworking, and building, and pottery making. All God stuff damn. that were major contributions to the pre-colonial and pre-industrial period and then eventually the actual industrial period and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, crazy. that goes too for the Native Americans as well that were here that helped. Yeah, it's that crazy. either helped or were forced to help uh, the colonial people. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's crazy anyhow. You know, we brought all these people here and basically made them do free labor and it's all stuff we still use in modern society. It's, it's yeah, wild. right? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. But as we move forward in this episode, Eddie, how have Asian people been treated in america oh, dude. like as a whole dude yeah I, bro I, I mean yeah i, I agree I, like it, it's hard i know there shouldn't be a competition who had it worse there really shouldn't because it doesn't really help anyone but i feel like from a uh a conversational debate perspective i think it'd be, have to be black people and indigenous people that had it the absolute worst in the united states mm -hmm. and what would become the united states and I say that, too, before I get into the Asian-American part, because, like, to simply, I think something that we needed to be said is to simply just talk about, the. obviously, we got to talk about only the United States, because, like, I can't exactly speak for Mexico, or the other South American countries, Canada, right? Sure, we can research this stuff, but we live in the U.S. So this is stuff that we had to learn in general. So we, in no way do we want to mitigate and or make smaller how much more slaves actually got shipped to other places than the United States. Um, because when you look at the numbers, only about three and a half percent of the slaves that were brought over from Africa made it were imported to the United States. Yeah. The rest if, went elsewhere. If I'm not mistaken, dude, or died. Haiti was like the worst. Like I think it might have been, yeah. I think they just started killing people. Like they didn't even play around with like punishments. Yeah. It was death. Yeah, sure. so the Caribbeans are really rough. Yeah, so like that's I want to make sure that's off the bat. People know that that not the majority of slaves didn't even go to the United States, but obviously we still had slaves, right? Um, but as far as Asian Americans, I think, I mean, when we look at Pleasanton, where I live, uh, downtown Pleasanton actually has plaques and memorials for uh, the Asian, specifically Chinese Americans um, that came over um, and helped build that area. Uh, and died in the sewers, um, and died elsewhere trying to build this area. Uh, they were made. They made major contributions to the gold rush, to mining, uh, to train uh, work, um, as well as just other contributions that had to be made. I unfortunately didn't as do as much research for this, uh, which is unfortunate. But 
I mean, they also, from my knowledge, and when I'm looking at the uh, all the laws created, I feel like the Asian Americans suffered the most from <laughs> these acts because the majority of them were done aimed at either Eastern Europeans on the East Coast or Asian Americans on the West Coast, such as the Naturalization Act, which limited citizenship to free white people. Uh, or the Chinese Exclusion Act that happened 100 years later, which barred Chinese immigrants from uh, existing in the United States. Um, and it was uh, extended to the 40s, 1940s. Uh, the 1900s, uh, in which the United States agreed to stop issuing passports for Japanese laborers. Uh, 1917 Immigration Act, which uh, barred immigration from most countries in Asia. Uh, 1923, which said... Indians from Asia were not white. Um, don't forget, Indians were part of the Asia. Uh, National Origins Act, which extended earlier prohibitions on Asian immigration but exempted Filipinos. Finally, they were allowed to be here. And that was, for those that don't know, part of the Spanish-American War. Uh, hence, we got a sphere of influence over in the Philippines. Uh, we interned 100, over 100,000 Japanese-Americans, uh, specifically on the West Coast. Uh, we actually did the reverse date in 1945, where we allowed, uh, foreign born women married to U.S. servicemen to come to the United States. And eventually we started being more open to United, to Asian Americans coming to the United States. But for a long time, we passed a lot of laws that said, Hey, you're not allowed here. Um, things like that. It's similar to like the Bracero Act we talked about in our last episode where like they invited Hispanic people here and then said, nah, fuck you guys after, um, very similar. So there was definitely a lot of like tragedies and they were treated as usual when it comes to immigration, they were a cheaper labor force because they were willing to work for less money because they needed that money. Um, and so they were, uh, what's the word, taken advantage of um, in that way and treated as less than the white person um, and oftentimes allowed to die in droves in order to build things. So really similar to the majority of other immigrants experiences. And I say that in a sarcastic way to show that like we all just got fucked when it came to the united states so yeah yeah i will say i think it's pretty underrated the uh the chinese american experience because that's who essentially built like a lot of the railroad system the huge part of building the intercontinental there's a cool picture that's like forgotten in history of uh i think they met in utah it's like a whole bunch of irish american and chinese americans and it's famous because that's like the actual picture of the railroad uh meeting and then what was the U.S. Secret Service kicked them all fucking out so that the president could get a picture. And it was like him and a bunch of white dudes. Um, you know, so I, I mean, for those who don't know, respect to the Chinese Americans that built the railroad system because it was extremely dangerous. I mean, they were losing hundreds, if not thousands, because they were just using this open dynamite and all types of just super unsafe work conditions. People were getting buried alive all the time. Dynamite was just going off like, Suffering like, from lung diseases and things like that. Yeah, yeah, you really yeah. look into that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely horrifying oh, stuff. I, I just remembered something too when I was reading uh, at one of the libraries I went to when I was in Pleasanton. A big part of the reason why too, I think they also wanted to hire more Chinese Americans or Chinese or other Asians for these jobs during that time period when we're looking at like the mid to late 1800s is because they noticed that they were less susceptible to certain diseases. But they believe part of that, scientists and anthropologists and historians believe that part of that was because they drank so much tea. Not because the tea itself was so good, although there obviously are benefits from drinking teas, 
but because they were often boiling their water sources and killing any potential harmful bacteria or otherwise from that, that helped them to be able to work. Um, yeah. So that's actually kind of a cool contribution and reason. I mean, cool, but obviously bad because then that means they worked a lot more and died and suffered a lot more. But, you know. Yeah. So moving forward, why, why do Americans have issues with Asian, Asian Americans? I, I wanted to tackle this from um, whenever I started my master's program. The first big paper I wrote was on serial killers because um, it was just a whatever topic. Something I found truly interesting is that after the Korean War, and it really uprised more after the Vietnam War, that's when serial killing took like an uprise, at least that the United States was able to document and notice. One of the theories on that is that post-World War II, I think, from what I remember reading this one article, it theorized that because post-Korea, or since Korea, the majority of our enemies between the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and because the Middle East is technically considered Asia, partially, um, the Americans have grown very desensitized of violence, just in general, because it's been on TV, and it's kind of become more ingrained in our culture post-World War II. But also the fact that our enemies have been Asian. So it, the article was trying to theorize that basically through through you know, America becoming per se more violent and everything that we've definitely dehumanized Asian people in general. And that kind of carried on to Asian Americans. And I think, you know, there's some merit into the argument. I mean, look, it was one paper on a whole different assignment, but uh, I thought it was interesting because, you know, in all fairness, Asian Americans were the only ones that were put through being put into an internment camp during World War II. I mean, we were fighting, you know, we didn't do anything to German Americans. We didn't do anything Italian Americans, you know, there's that, you know, and I think you look back at the brutality of the Pacific War, the brutality of the Korean War, the brutality of Vietnam and what it did culturally to the United States. I, I think there's maybe some merit to how we view Asian people and how that translates into Asian Americans. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw that article out there because I thought that was an interesting take on maybe how we see Asian Americans. But I think. From my own experience, Asian Americans are probably seen as the golden boy of all the races. You know, there's a lot of stereotypes about Asian Americans just being better. Maybe is just you know the most un you know unpolitical savvy way to say it. I mean, yeah. I, I, let me break down some stats. Is that cool, Eddie? Before you go in, yeah. So there's 24, and this is as of 2022. There's 24 uh, currently 24 million Asian Americans, which makes up 6.3 of the whole. Out of that 24 uh, million, 55.1% have a bachelor's degree or higher, with Indian Americans have, being 70% of them either have a bachelor's degree or higher, and with Vietnamese Americans having the lowest of 20%, 26% or higher have a bachelor's degree. Um, 2.6 million um, on top of that 24 are considered mixed race. They account for 15% of the whole of the uh, Asian American population sorry words are hard um asian america the asian americans have the most subgroups to my understanding within it and um i thought again talking about our last episode that colorism is definitely a thing in asian american experience with vietnamese typically being darker and seeing as the least 
employable and having the lowest employment out of all the subcategories uh, where Japanese Americans are seen to have typically the lighter side of skin and have the highest um, have the highest notion of employment and also have the highest employment level. Plus, the highest percentile of, of them are American citizens. Sorry, they have the highest percentage of American citizens within them as well. Their average income in the United States is 49000 and Sorry, sorry. Ugh, words are hard. My apologies, everyone. The average American income is 49000 The average Asian American income in America is 66000 Um and then again in the service, I think it's something along the lines that fifty percent of the people interviewed said that family ties and good parenting were the two core values. I say all that as I'm gonna regards I'm gonna use that as a good counterpoint, or not a counterpoint, but a good maybe thing to remember when we start talking about the African Americans, their statistics, and maybe why these two groups tend to clash and don't see eye to eye per se. At least from big scale anything you uh, want to- I was, yeah i was gonna add and i don't know if it's changed because this data is old it's from 2012 but yeah at the time of it the major groups are chinese then filipino then indian then vietnamese and korean and then japanese um those groups make up like 80 percent of the asian citizens or at least asian immigrants in the united states um so obviously Asia is also one big place. I think something I wanted to mention too here, um, and this even goes for being African, uh, obviously, and, and this is extends to being indigenous and extends to being Hispanic Latino. It is such an inadequate grouping and umbrella because there are so many Asian countries, there are so many Hispanic Latino countries, there's so many African countries, and there's so many indigenous tribes. I guess you'd say peoples, maybe. Um, so. It's so in- inadequate because it's like when you think about Asian people, it's like, well, there's China. Russia counts, technically. Yeah. India counts. Tibet, Nepal, uh, Laos, Malaysia, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, Samoa, Japan, Korea. You know, now I can go on. There's a lot more countries than just those. So, yeah. like, go ahead. This is why I'm a huge proponent of not a big fan of when people say they're per se. And I don't want to take away take away from anybody, but that's why I'm not a big fan when people say they're German American, Italian American. Da, 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 da. I think I, I don't know. I just I think if we're gonna categorize all of these people, oh, you want to say you're not gonna be, yeah, we're not gonna make yeah, it where yeah, 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 yeah. be this thing. Everybody fits into their per se category of African American, Asian American, Hispanic, Latino American, Indigenous American. And you know, so forth. European, yeah, yeah, yeah. European American. You know, I yeah. think it's for because you know what I'm talking about. There's every now and then you'll meet a guy that, oh, I'm not, I'm not like everybody else. I'm, I'm Irish American, like, and I'm like, but then, okay, that's fine. You're like everyone that's else, cool. bro. Like, that same guy won't take the fucking time a day to learn where everybody else comes from. And, like, and, yeah, and yeah. typically, in my own experience, they'll be like, no, nah, you're, you're just American, and I, and that's where it's like, cut the bullshit. Like, it's a fucking act, dude. You can't. It's not how this works. But, yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. But, yeah. Um, let me, let me tackle some of the African-American statistics while we're Yeah, on. let's come back. So, they currently make up 47.2%, um, percent, or sorry, 47.2 million of the American population, which comes down to 14.2%. 
Uh, it's thirty percent increase since the year two thousand. I think there's a common misconception sometimes that the African American population is not growing; that it's kind of stayed still. Um, I thought something I found that was interesting. Where's that? I had to pull up. Okay, based on where they, okay, I wrote it down luckily. Based on where they live, fifty six percent of the population lives in the southern United States. Ten percent lives on the west coast. Seventeen uh, percent lives in the Midwest, and seventeen percent lives in the Northeast. I think again, that's interesting in racial uh, dispersants and how many really haven't left the South. I guess I I don't know. I thought that was interesting, but um, the average income for the African American family is forty six percent, or sorry, forty six thousand. Golly, um, let that be noted. That's three thousand under. And was that twenty thousand under the average Asian American family? You know, so stick with me. And then not to not to perpetuate stereotypes, but I feel comfortable in talking about it because unfortunately it's part of my life. You know, thirty nine percent of African American homes um, are married, where thirty one percent have a single female in it, and five percent have a single uh, male in it. Which again perpetrates a lot of American stereotypes about African-Americans, unfortunately. Um, and then 58% have a bachelor's or higher. Again, that's still still a little bit lower than the Asian-American community. Um, yeah. So actually, it's higher, but not individualized. Like, sorry, it is higher. My bad. Got the numbers. Question. Did it, on there, does it list median income for either Asians or... Americans or African Americans? Uh, I would probably have to go back and look. I did not write down the median. The median was the number I wrote down. Oh, so it was median, not the average. Yes, yeah, sorry, my bad. My apologies. Okay. Okay, so that was all median. Alright, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. That makes yes. sense. Yeah, because like obviously averages can be influenced for those that may not remember math class. Averages can be influenced by heavy top end earners, uh, whereas. Medians are more representative of where exactly that midpoint is uh, amongst earners. So just curious. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the reason I kind of took notes on that stuff and said it out loud is that, you know, I, I think, it, and again, I've only seen this very mildly from my own experiences. There is some sort of, let's just call it a disconnect between African Americans and Asian Americans in my own experiences. Now, I don't think it's been anything super crazy by any means. And I don't even know exactly what it is. I would argue maybe cultural differences. You know, like I kind of listed, Asian Americans view family extremely highly. African Americans currently have a problem of families being maybe separated. Why that is, I think there's definitely a lot of arguments towards society doing it and the amount of people that are in prison versus just, unfortunately, how things have been going for them in this country. And You know, I think, too, there's a lot of frustration in that Asian Americans get called the model minority and i don't know i've heard a lot i've seen i've read a lot of different things on that some are you know why wouldn't you try to be the best some think it's not fair that it gets put on them uh, i think for the african-american experience again it's it's tough when you know part of the reason the uh chinese exclusion act got casted because at that time uh my understanding a asians were considered they considered themselves white, and so white people didn't like that, and so they, you know, basically made they're like, "No, you're not, you're not one of us like that," you know, because they didn't categorize them at the time. And so I think there's 
maybe not now so much, but I just think there's a, maybe a lot of historical context that it's like, oh, one group of people have been considered being at the bottom of the totem pole versus another being considered at the top of the totem pole. And I think that kind of causes issues. Plus, I think, you know, what I, I did a lot of reading on the LA riots and something I thought was very fascinating is that overall, the Asian African-American you know, they were basically forced into each other. You know, you had a predominantly African-American neighborhood and you had all these um, Asian-American immigrants and people coming to the country, getting placed into that neighborhood due to redlining and the fact that just that essentially, from what I understood, white people weren't letting them into their neighborhoods either. And so I think it was one of the first times you saw two different cultures, two different groups of people being forced together, hardcore. It, it seems like, Eddie, and you can tell me if you know more about this, like even Hispanic American, sorry, Hispanic and Latino Americans had already had their own neighborhoods kind of set. It wasn't so much that people were getting just placed right into the middle of them per se. Yeah. I mean, I'll add to that by saying like that was in the nineties, right? Early nineties. Yeah. 91, yeah. 92. Well, I, what I read was more in like There's a few riots. Oh, okay. But even then, like keep in mind that my dad moved to Downey in what the um, 78 and upon his arriving in Downey within a year, his neighbor left because they didn't want to deal with those people. Um, so to your point, if you're already redlining some of those districts and then forcing some of the Asian Americans into those districts, you also got to know that they're being priced out and kept out of the areas around them by the realtors, by these people that are selling homes, who control who they can sell to. So yeah, I think that just further adds to the frustrations felt by those groups. Yeah, and I think it was interesting just reading about how, yes, there was a lot of growing pains and struggles and really learning how a desegregated society amongst African-Americans and Asian-Americans was going to thrive. But overall, it worked for the most part. Now, there's definitely... Obviously, you have to admit that the LA riots were not great, you know, and there's a lot of context to them. We'll probably do an episode on them by, sorry, the LA riot by itself and everything going into it. But yeah, I think that's not the full picture of the Asian and African American experience. There's a lot of organizations, as I've learned as of doing research, that really work toward unifying Asian Americans and African Americans. And I found a lot of organizations, too, that were very supportive during the BLM movement. Um, I think something I thought was interesting is that COVID-19, sorry, we're jumping around a lot on probably the episode format, but trying to trying to do my best to maybe, I don't know, go with the flow, I guess. But COVID-19 did a lot. That was I a think, good jump. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it did a lot. And I don't, just showing that things aren't are right for Asian Americans either, because you know, unfortunately, I i mean, I'm not going to say, I guess, but, you know, eight in 10 Asian Americans say they experienced some form of violence against them in the United States during the COVID experience. You know, I mean, I think that's pretty, pretty horrible because, you know, living through that and we did an episode on Asian hate, people were making a lot of assumptions based on these people's skin color. You know, and I and I yeah, bear in mind the Asian hate episode we recorded in like twenty twenty one, like May. Yeah. Yeah. That's when like like even when I'm looking at some of these reports from that time period, like that's when this all shit came out. So like a little bit after that. 
Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. keep going, keep going. But I was but just yeah, I just think like I don't want to say that like open their eyes or anything. Yeah, there's a lot going on in America at that time, you know. African Americans are dealing with their per se issues with the police. Asian Americans are dealing with their per se issues with uh conservative society. Americans, yeah, a certain part of society that just yeah. does their own research and shit. Yeah. You know, Hispanic and Latino Americans are, you know, dealing with their issues in society and the border issue. And then Native Americans just stay sorry, Native American indigenous people stay dealing with their issues, you know. It's just so under the radar that it just doesn't even make the headlines, unfortunately, like it should. You know, so I think I think that was in a weird way and was good. It I think it I don't want to say unification per se, but hey, we're all going through issues in Amer- certain people in America. And you know what? They kind of connected, you know. One in five US Asians cite former President Donald Trump as one of the reasons for the rise in violence against Asian Americans. They cite in in this graph I'm reading, I don't know if I sent this one to you, Eddie. Yeah, at least Donald twenty percent said Donald Trump was the issue of why they were dealing with um, you know, hate during that time period, racism, COVID-19, ignorance, the rise in China and U.S. relations, uh, misinformation, um, the, I, the ideology that Asian Americans don't fight back against hate crimes, news media, and xenophobia. Uh, xenophobia? How do you say it? Yeah, xenophobia. Xenophobia. You know, I, again, you know, I think we're talking about a lot of the same people that rock with DT, racism, thinking COVID-19, them as a scapegoat, are typically, I don't want to categorize, but they seem to fit this bubble, the same people that have an issue with BLM and black people in the police, you know, the whole back the blue crowd. The same people that are very disrespectful towards Native American indigenous land. The same people that just don't even respect the lives of Hispanic and Latino Americans trying to look for a better future. You know, I, I really do believe from what I've read and what I've seen that this kind of group of Americans popping up, which they've always been here, um, has really shined a light that the African American experience, the Asian American experience, the indigenous Native American experience, and, and Hispanic and Latino, but everybody that is not part of per se, the group, and everyone the knows in-group. Group. Yeah. Yeah, the in-group. Is, yeah. Yeah. Is in the same bubble. They just don't realize it because again, you know, not getting too far off the re- not getting too far off the subject. The system that was put in place was meant to divide people of certain categories and pin them against each other to not realize who the real problem maker is. I don't want to get, I mean, and I'm, again, this is my own opinion, you know, it's my own experiences, but yeah, that's kind of my take. Sorry. I know I've been talking forever. Please. No, you're good. I think my only thing on that is, I don't know if I would say exactly that it's intended to do that division, but I think that was just a natural next step when you have an in-group that exists, that creates a system. Because bear in mind, guys, when we talk about this, that the controlling majority for the pretty much all of the history of the United States has been the lighter skin toned individuals that come from Europe. Um, and eventually that did expand to people that came from all over Europe, but for a good time, it was primarily Western Europe and Western Northern Northwestern Europe that 
excluding Scottish and Irish and Welsh people, of course, um, that Italians did honestly. have a lot of control. Huh? And who? I was going to say, like, Eastern Europeans and Italians really didn't have it. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was, oh, like, yeah. Western and Northwestern excluding those groups, and then eventually it did expand to include those over the history of the United States. But because those were the controlling majority, they created law. I mean, they fucking put in the – when they created the United States that – Black people, they can only count three-fifths of them. I mean, like, what do you want me to say? So, yes, the natural extension, in my opinion, would be that with all these other groups that aren't part of the in-group, that aren't part of when these laws were erected, even though we have a whole-ass system to build amendments and create better inclusion, in which we did eventually, are still going to be on the outside and will often compete with one another in order to secure resources. I mean, it's, it's yeah. So I think that's, that's what's happened. Um, I think... Maybe getting back to the black experience in the United States, uh, Bryce, if you want to speak more about that. I think that's been something that's frustrating to me because these narratives exist. It's just not like, yeah. Well, here, let me, I'll, I'll talk about myself maybe a little bit, do a little personal story, ahead, I guess. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know, to Eddie's point, you know, again, I don't know if we'll get this out on video or not, but if anybody hasn't seen my face again, let me just say this one more time before I tell you the story. I'm pretty white passing. Like, I think if you really don't know, you probably just think it was fully white. I will say I get a little tan in the summer. I, I mean, I do tan just a little bit more than maybe the average person, I guess. I don't know. Um, So in eighth grade, and this is kind of an ongoing story, but I'll never forget in eighth grade. Uh, it was, Christmas break? Birthday? I don't remember. It was cold because I wore this blue hoodie. I got, I don't know. I got. I wore this blue hoodie, and I always wore the hood on. For those who don't know, my ears get really cold. I don't like that, so I do typically wear something over my ears, which is why I wear a hoodie. Um, Went into Best Buy, all places, somewhere that I've gone to like my entire life because video games, movies, technology, all that shit. And I distinctly remember an employee told me I had to take off my hood. Cause I was causing problems and like, I was like, I didn't understand it like the first time I, and like, I will admit that a lot of my life I was pretty ignorant to, you know, what I would argue is maybe some racial tendencies, but that was like one experience. Another time again, went with my hoodie on cause I just didn't really think about it. And I got all this stuff. I think it was like my birthday or something. I got, I got all this stuff. I had my hands full and they were like, what are you doing with all that? And I was like, I'm going to buy it. And they were like, there's no way you don't have the money for it. And I was like, I definitely do. And like, luckily at that time, like my mom, like definitely saw what was happening and came up and she was like, he's with me. He's getting this for his birthday. And they were like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize you were with her, you know, and this whole fucking apology story kind of thing. And like, didn't go back, didn't go back. And then probably another one of my final stories about me and Best Buy. I was in there when I was in 11th grade, 10th grade. I was with uh, some of my buddies. One was Asian American. The other two were white. Uh, went in there. Again, wasn't wearing a hoodie. We were just messing around, looking at stuff. Wasn't causing any damage or doing anything. And me and my Asian American buddy both got stopped and got basically told we had to leave because we were causing problems. But we were literally doing the same thing as my two white buddies, and they didn't say a word to them. And like we got kicked out, and it was just like, what the fuck? Um, and then the final story I don't know if I told it on here. Uh, I got pulled over once going to a high school practice, 
So those who know, I took soccer pretty serious in my early days. And um, I would go to practice sometimes an hour, 30 minutes early. And this, this, why I'm saying that is the parking lot was empty. I showed up there. I was not speeding. I was actually on the phone with my mom the entire time. I was driving her car because I think mine was getting an oil change, if I remember right. Her car was, oh, you just preface this, like a 2012 Honda, Honda Civic. I mean, it was nice, but like nothing to write home about. I got pulled over by two police officers while entering the parking lot. Um, I was freaking the fuck out. And as they came up to my window, the officer on my left side had his pistol drawn already. The three behind me, because I could see them in the rear menu, had their pistols drawn. At this point, I was panicking. Luckily, my mom was on the phone. Um, they wanted to like search my car. They thought I had drugs. They were trying to pull me out of the car. And my mom has, luckily with her job, like a lot of experience with the law and basically was kind of being a lawyer for me at the moment. And they tried to make me turn off my phone and like end the call. And she was like, don't let them do that. And lot like she luckily knew my rights. And I was very fortunate that they weren't able to enter the car, pull me out or do anything crazy. But the situation still didn't deescalate until well, they kept thinking I was like, going to sell drugs or something. They were questioning me while I was at a high school parking lot by myself. Luckily at that point, I had some teammates show up and they were literally trying to tell the police that I was a player on the team in which the officers did not believe them. I tried to show them my student ID. They were not letting me pull my wallet out. It was pretty, pretty scary for me. Um, the situation didn't end until my actual high school coach showed up, showed them that I was on the roster Apparently he knew one of the officers and talked to him and it was just, it was very, um, it was not a fun situation and it, it really shook me up and it was, it was not cool. And I was like, I just remember like at the time, I think I really put it in a box and kind of hit how I felt about the situation as I did a lot of things when I was younger. But like looking back, I can only imagine how that situation would have gone down. Had my mom not been there on the phone with me, how, if she didn't have the knowledge of the law as much as she did, how that would have gone down, how if I was a darker skin tone, you know, and go, things going down, like I see these videos of kids getting pulled over and doing, you know, moving their hands really quick. And I fully get it because I was kind of doing the same. I was terrified. I was so scared. And like, it's really changed it after that day, it changed my perception of the police. It changed my thoughts about a lot of things in America. But yeah, that's that's like my one personal story, I'd say, when it comes to, you know, my experience with the police and the African-American experience, because I don't I think when you talk about the African-American experience, you have to you have to you have to talk about the African-American and police experience or their relationship, at least. You know, I think. You know, it says something when almost everybody can agree that there's a problem with the police and the African-American community in the United States. Um, you know, I pulled up some articles, you know, the majority of both black and white Americans say that black people are treated less than fairly than white, uh, than whites in dealing with the police by the criminal justice system. And as a whole, 84% of black adults said that in dealing with the police, blacks are generally treated less fairly than whites. 63% of whites said that the same similarity, 87% of blacks and 61% of whites said that the U.S. criminal justice system treat black people less fairly. Um, 
sorry, and talking about intersectionality, uh, another study I found that 87% of, sorry, so 80, 88% of, I don't know, so 88% of Democrats agree that there's a problem with the police in the African-American community, where 43% of Republicans don't, or sorry, 43% don't agree Sorry. Oh my gosh. Forty-three percent don't agree that there's a problem with the African American community and the police. And and I just brought that up because I think again talking about stereotypes, there's a stereotype that almost all black people, African Americans, are Democrats, and that's definitely not true. But you know there might be some causation to party alignment and the way they view certain issues that correlate with African American issues. So. That's kind of what I wanted to say about the African-American experience a little bit. Eddie, is there anything you wanted to talk about? Or, yeah, yeah if- I want to add to the narrative, what, like, kind of like the context for what my, that, that might be the case. And I think kind of looking back, obviously, if you have for over 100 years. So if the first couple slaves that came to the United States, the United States that would become the United States, actually, the first slaves came in 1586. Uh, they had slaves um, in 1586 and 1616. They were slaves in the West Indies. 1526, Spanish brought slaves to Florida and the Carolinas. So it wasn't really until you got to 1619 when it was officially. Like, I guess you could say that the colonies were establishing. They were established, brought over slaves. Right. So I want to give you guys the audience knowledge that 1619 isn't just the date when slaves made it over. They had been there before. It was just as far as colonial America was concerned that that was 1619's a date. Um, the United States didn't become a, a country until 1776, and really until they won the war and eventually established a constitution, which was 1786, right? So, like, that's already 150 years. Add on to that another... 100 years before the Civil War occurs and you have Reconstruction. So for about 350 years, give or take, in the United States, black people are slaves. And not just, you know, people might argue, and when we say people, we often mean certain groups of people will argue, well, everyone had slavery. Yeah, of course everyone had slavery. Again, we're talking about the United States. We're talking about chattel slavery in particular, not indentured servitude, not debt slavery, not all these other slaveries, because there's so many different types that exist. And that have been practiced in the world. Talking about chattel slavery, where these humans are treated as if they are nothing more than mere livestock, um, where they are completely owned by these individuals or groups, and their kids are owned by them, and they can be treated however they want. Um, They're treated less than human. Obviously, they're thought to be less than human, uh, despite all their knowledge and contribution to society. And that goes on for 350 years. Until slaves are freed. And at that time, yeah, sure, they were freed, but like still only like men were granted citizenship, right? Or, and men were allowed to vote. It wasn't until 1919 when we have the amendment that allows women to vote. Then, you know, the South, you know, shout out our boy Ulysses S. Grant, who did a lot of work creating the, stating that the KKK was a national terrorist organization and other things, beating cheeks in the right way. Uh, but then we have other presidents that kind of, repeal back on that and allow states to kind of manage their own shit. So 
that allowed a lot of the more racist and states that exist that have such cultural ties to that slavery to still treat these black people and be so offended by the fact that they are free when they should be in chains again, right? That narrative continues. They create their own laws to uh, bar them from voting, from taking place in society. Hence, that became what we know as Jim Crow laws. You know, I've seen some of the literacy tests that are supposed to be given to make sure that their slaves can read. They pass grandfather laws where essentially if your grandfather wasn't a citizen, you can't vote um, or participate in society um, and all these other bullshit excuses in order to bar them from living. Um, it really wasn't until you get, I mean, and, and they contributed to World War One, right? Like black people contributed to World War One. They contributed to all these fucking wars, man. Uh, they're part of terrible tests that uh, the American Health Society and others were complicit in the United States government. And so finally, you get to the civil rights movement in the 50s. For, well, really, it started, I think it was what we talked about in the 20s, and 30s, 40s, 50s, and now in the 60s, when we get the Civil Rights Act passed, as well as the Voting Rights Act passed. Desegregation, um, not just in the military, but in sports and society and schools and all this shit. Now we're at about, what is that, another 30 years on top of Reconstruction, plus 60, so 90, we're at. 440 years worth of time where a dominant narrative in the United States was black people are less than. That takes time to fucking get past, man. That takes time to uh, take out, cut out, and build on and realize that they're fucking humans. Um, and this in no way is me giving an excuse to these people. It's just me explaining why Things such as Bryce's experience, why a lot other Javon Holland's experience, why all these experiences and things and issues still exist because it takes a while for that to happen. And let alone now in the United States, um, whether as a result, really, we can trace it back to the 2016 election, but you have this now, we have states that don't even want that to be part of taught history. Um, and it's unfortunate because, and I'll try to end here soon, Bryce, so you can take over. It's unfortunate because we also have people saying as a narrative, well, that happened in the past. Why are you worried about it? Look, man, my fucking grandma was born in 1927. She lived through the Great Depression because the Great Depression in the United States was felt everywhere around the world. She lived through that. She lived through the fucking World War. She lived through the Vietnam and Korean War. She was already here, right? My grandparents did. My grandfather fought in World War II. He's fucking Hispanic. He's Mexican. Like, that's not ancient history, man. They lived in a desegregated United States. That's not ancient history, right? We look at how old Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and these older people are. They lived through that time period, man. To say that that's ancient history is such a misnomer and does so much to minimize the experience of these human beings in the United States. That's not fucking ancient history, man. It's not. It's only been 40, 60 years since the Civil Rights Act was passed. Like, yeah. what do you no, want me to say? So, yeah. You said yeah. people say it's ancient history. Why do people think whenever you call an African-American person the N-word with the hard R, that it's like instantly throwing hands word? Isn't that ancient history? Ancient history? Like, the connotation yeah, of the still word. Not, still yeah, not yeah, ancient yeah, history. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> Even that's not ancient Well, and I'll add on to this, because uh, I, I do want to end with this, Bryce, now. I would like to hear your no, thoughts no. on it. So, this is something that I've talked about with my dad and other people that I know aren't actually like, you know, racist or things like that. They're still very 
open-minded people. It's just for them. I think trying to learn all this stuff is still new to them. But it's this concept of, hey, my grandparents were able to make a life in the United States. Why can't others? And I think in a way they're correct, but in a way they're also incorrect. You know, and it's something that I've talked to them about and saying, look, they, my grandparents did a fantastic job building a life for their kids. You know, their kids benefited from affirmative action in California. Um, for they were able to get educated and they were able to give good lives to their own kids, right? Yeah, they made their way. Other people can too. It's not impossible, right? That exists. And that's why, you know, I think for me, I think the United States is a great place. That exists. You can still get ahead of life. But we can't just say that that's, we can't say that and then ignore that there still exists these societal issues and issues in our government where we pass laws where we don't educate on these topics, right? We pass laws, we have societal things, and this is why I wanna come back to, you are less likely to get a job as an educated black individual because of your name. You are less likely to be considered for a job, period, yep. right? And yeah. it's something that women also experience, it's something that other people of color experience. So like, when we talk about building wealth, it really wasn't until recent history they were able to build wealth. And this is something that my dad's like, well, same thing for our grandparents, for his parents, right? It's like, I understand. Again, it's not impossible. There are certainly black families that are very rich and very well off. There are certainly Hispanic families or Asian families and other families that are very well off. That happens. It's just we need to be aware of the other issues that still exist and permeate the United States society and law that keep down and or affect the majority of the other Americans, right? Such as redlining, such as gerrymandering, right? Gentrification, other things. Something that my dad realized Prop 13 net in California is great for gentrification because it allows the people that have lived here that aren't even just people of color, like our neighbor that's lived in their house for so long to still maintain their livelihood without having to give it up because there are new people entering the neighborhood. Whereas across the United States, it's not the case. So that's why you find a lot of people being priced out of their homes that are specifically people of color because they haven't been able to build the intergenerational wealth that other communities and people, specifically white people have. So these problems still exist in premier United States culture. Does that mean that you can't make it? Hell no. You can still get it done. It's still possible. But like my other argument goes, if you aren't educated and made aware of these things, how do you ever do it? If you don't know how to not be in poverty, how do you get out of poverty? Yeah. If yeah. your main source of information for that is your, sorry, I'll end on this, Bryce, no, no, you're is good. your you're parents good. and they're financially illiterate, how the fuck are you going to get out? How the fuck do you even get out? So if you're a person of color trying to make their way and make a good life, and you don't even know about your own history in the United States or the world, how are you going to be made aware of all these things? And this extends to the LGBTQT community. If you feel these ways, because let me tell you, I fucking knew I was straight when I was five years old. And if these kids know that they're not straight when they're five years old, how are they going to know and be able to handle that, that emotions and those feelings and those thoughts? If they don't see that, that that it's okay to exist, right? So all these things are pretty much, this is where the intersectionality, and I, I like that you mentioned that earlier, Bryce, exists. So that's what I kind of wanted to, yeah, get your thoughts on. I want to talk about yeah, that. Dude. I mean, I think for one, you know, the biggest thing I keep hearing is that education is key. It's so fucking key, which is why when you hear about these states that are taking it away, it's just so crippling. It's so crippling to those kids and society as a whole. Um, I think you know, the, the word out of sight, out of mind comes to my mind a lot when I hear about 
people just don't even realize these problems exist. They, you know, and I'll say, like, when I was growing up, I thought we had conquered racism, man. I was in this delusion. In all fairness, I didn't know any better until I knew. Unfortunately, the way I learned, not the greatest way. Um, you know, so I and I think that's for a lot of people because I think there's a lot of probably people that if they just understood what was really going on in the intersection, intersection is a big, a big word. It's something I didn't learn about till like midway through college, even I would say. I mean, I, I think a lot of people just don't even know. You know, they're busy with their own lives, which is completely fair. You know, everyone's got shit, you know. Um, but but moving away from that, because the one last institution I wanted to talk about that I think really affects success is the prison system and the U.S. justice justice system. You know, there's currently off of this 2014 study, this is the best I could find. There's 6.8 million uh, people in correctional facilities across America. Of the 6.8 is 2.3 million. Uh, of this, uh, of the 6.8, there's 2.3 million African Americans, which by far makes them the largest minority. Um, in, large minority in, that's incarcerated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I think key findings from this um, this website found it's dot org. Um, Black Americans are incarcerated in state prisons at nearly five times the rate of white Americans. Nationally, one in 81 black adults in the U.S. is serving time in a state prison. Wisconsin led the nation in black imprisonment rates. One for every 36 black Wisconsinites is in prison. That's insane. One in 36? That's insane. Uh, I want to also add to the, you know, I made the comment about the research on having your name be considered black. You Less likely job, less likely chance of getting a job, and that's for people that are trying to get ahead of them in life. I want to also add that black people in general, and I know Bryce, you already mentioned this before. You can look it up. I mean, go to Google Scholar, look this up. The yeah. numbers for it. Statistically speaking, black people and other people of color receive harsher sentences. Oh uh, yeah, for similar crimes that are committed, right? Um, whereas white people don't. That's why that whole argument about. The black mom that tried to change her kid's district versus the white mom who did the same thing, how their punishments differed, right? So it, it's so, it's so dog shit. That's why I wanted to go over the narrative of that because it's like it's still in our subconscious, and it's something that the only way you can change it is to be aware of it and then make conscious decisions to go past it. It's the same thing if you want to change your fucking life. If you want to change your life for the better. You have to be willing to look in the mirror and look at your life and really objectively take a look at the things that maybe are going wrong that you have influence over, right? I decided I have to go to therapy. In fact, I said yes to therapy after my parents were like, you are not in a good place. You need to go. And I said, yes, you're right. And then I did that and my life is a lot better now, right? That's a conscious effort to be made aware of my habits, my negative habits, my negative self-talk the bullshit that I've experienced, my traumas, and then move past them. If the United States is unwilling to do that and the individuals in it, we are not going to be able to move past this. So that's, yeah, I wanted to add that, sorry, to Bryce. So, and that's why that, that subconscious narrative still exists and is still embedded in us, hence why we have these issues. Yeah, I just wanted to, last two things I wanted to add about the prison system 
In 12 states, predominantly the southern states, more than half the prison population is African-American. And in seven states, now this is more dispersed to the Midwest and the Northeast, um, seven states maintain a nine-to-one ratio of African-Americans to um, white, white Americans. I just think it shows that there is a prison. There's obviously, you know, you have private prisons, pay for all that stuff, you know, there's a larger conversation to be held there, but I just wanted to be shown that, you know, the prison system, I don't know, most people that work in the prison, that uh, people that are in prison, you know, they work for like a dollar a day or if they're like maybe a dollar an hour. I think it's like three twenty-five in California an hour or something like that. But essentially it's, it's modern slavery. I mean, I don't know too many places with the modern economy that even three twenty-five an hour will get you a, a drink even at a McDonald's. Like, I, you know, I, and the fact that the over policing of pot, you know, again, intersectionality and causality, you have these predominantly, you know, African American people don't get a fair start at the beginning of their time in the United States. So they end up living wherever they can, predominantly poor neighborhoods. Historically speaking, New York, major big cities all have these historical neighborhoods, even California, you know, where African American people for the most part reside. You know, then those places get over policed because, you know, we got to attack where crime is the most ridden because poverty causes crime. You know, people are trying to stay alive. People are trying to, you know, they don't feel safe. So they form gangs. They don't have hunt. They don't have food. So they steal. They do what they can. No one's hiring. You know, these issues come up and they get over policed. And then all those people, you know, because, again, they have no societal solutions for it or they don't want there to be. You know, they put them in prisons, you know, and then it happens to be majority of African-Americans and other minorities, you know, and it's just, you know, not to mention the rise in that the fact that a lot of people, as I'm sure, you know, Eddie, that are in prison have a major mental health disorder. And it's like, oh, let's start looking at more causality here. Maybe just maybe generations of trauma have affected these people through all the shit that's been thrown at them, you know? And maybe that has, I'm almost done it, I promise. There's yeah, yeah, no, cultivated I and to, yeah. mental health disorder that they have no services for. Society, you know, can barely, is still barely just talking about it now. I wouldn't even say we're doing as good as we could. And then those unfortunate mental health disorders, whatever, causing in some sort of, violating societal laws and they get you thrown in prison. And then, you know, I, I, I mean, again, intersectionality and correlation to causation. I fully am a huge believer in that is why a lot of things are the way they are, but go ahead. Eddie. Uh, let alone the amount of people that got released in like New York when they legalized weed. I was like, dude, yeah. you fucking have people in prison for weed. Or, yeah. Like having like a couple ounces on them. Like, Dude, come on. They don't need to be in fucking prison. It's weed, man. Common common sense. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck the fuck the war on drugs. Sorry guys. Sorry. No, I, we could do, do an episode on so that stupid. shit. Fuck the shit. So CIA. stupid. It's yeah. probably the last episode on Anyways, I was gonna add uh so the reason why and, and here's the connection. On the thirteenth amendment. Which protects against slavery because the fourteenth gives uh, naturalization to slaves. I was incorrect about that. I forgot. I, I mixed those two up. 
It bans slavery and involuntary servitude, but explicitly excludes from its reach those held in confinement due to a criminal conviction. Hence, why in addition to Jim Crow law is trying to keep black people from being able to be in society, it was also done because then you can have them be slaves again via that. And that extends to anyone that's in prison, obviously. Anyone in prison that have been convicted of crimes can be forced into slavery. Yeah. So it, it's such an interesting connection to make. And yes, it, it exists in the prison system. The other thing I was going to mention was, I mean, we already know the United States prison system sucks. We did an episode on that. and We brought on my cousin to talk about that. It's so stupid to think for one second it's any sort of rehabilitation. It's not. It's pure punishment-based. It's pure labor-based, pure money-based. It, it, it's bullshit compared to other countries. Um, I feel like there's one other thing I was going to mention. If you want to think about that, I'm going to segue into... Yeah, go ahead. You know, guys, uh, this has been a long episode. We probably intended for it to be a little bit longer. There's a lot to talk about. We're, we're trying to move to maybe some more positive stuff because... Um, well, actually, before we get that, I forgot. I, I do have a story. So it, we were talking about things getting better and stuff like that. Uh, 2016, I don't know if I ever told you a story. I was in a class with an Oregon football player. He was pretty much the same story as me, except more athletic and darker skin. You know, grew up, mixed, um, very similar lives. Very, very similar. So we kind of had a lot to talk about. And I asked, we had to write a paper on just race and stuff like this for a sociology class. And I remember asking if I, if he thought things had gotten better. And his answer was no. This is a big old no. And I thought it was truly interesting because I didn't really understand where exactly he was coming from at the time. But then when 2020 popped off, it was like everything he said was like, boom. I thought that was, I, I was like, this guy, the second it, it all went down, you know, because he was, he was ahead of his time in the sense of, you know, he was talking about like Eric Gray and like all those, just the police incidents and stuff like that. That was really, even in 2016, 17, kind of getting swept under the rug and just, you know, stuff like that. So I just thought that was really interesting. I forgot about that story, but um, moving to more of like, I don't know, positive or like looking forward type approach, you know, one one small, like, look, I, I'm not fully ACAB or anything like that. I mean, I think that police, there are good police officers, just like there's bad ones. Uh, one positive story I can tell you from firsthand, I had a buddy talk to a mutual person, me and him know, that's a police officer. And he, he we'd always kind of, because he's mixed too, just like me, and he, uh, we'd always kind of been weary of him. And one day, I guess he just, he finally popped the question and just started asking all the hard questions to this guy. And from what he was telling me is this guy was just like, yeah, when he started, he was all about just busting heads and all that shit. And that essentially when 2020 happened and everything went down at the police that him, unlike a lot of police officers from you know his own experience, where he really took a hard look in the mirror at how he might've been the problem and just talking about how he's really made some active changes to be a better police officer for everyone and not just certain groups. And so I thought that was, you know, if one, if one positive change comes from it, then it's not a full loss, I guess, you know, it's how I look at it. And then the other positive, you know, um, some African-American ones. So uh, this is a little bit hard, hard to find, but it seems like currently there's 229,000 currently serving 
active duty in the U.S. military, and there's 2.3 million vets. Of those, um, all the people that have served in the African American community, there's been they've been awarded 95 medals of honor. Medals of honor. Now the number is skewed because historically they're still giving them out. What happened because people were so racist during World War One and up even the Civil War, but we're not probably going to ever get to that. But World War One and up, you know, they would have these just amazing feats, just amazing feats, and they would not give them awards because they were African American. There was a story you can, I think it's on Netflix. It's like Warfighter, like Act of Valor or something like that. It talks about Medal of Honor stories. There's the African American guy that like captured an entire German platoon, rescued two of his, the remaining two guys of his company, and just did all this stuff. And they basically were just like, cool. And it wasn't until like 1975 that they finally went back and gave him a Medal of Honor and all this stuff. You know, and there's countless, countless stories of that going on. So just, you know, fun fact. And then some other contributions they made, nothing too serious. The super soaker, which every kid growing up should know what that is. Uh, the folding chair, which shout out to Montgomery, Alabama, where the folding chair came in to save some people and traffic lights. Love or hate them. They're good stuff. Keep people alive. As for Asian ah. Americans. Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Currently 52,433 in active duty. Uh, it looks about 264,495 um, veterans and 33 medals of honor. Shout out to the Asian Americans that served during World War II. They really probably should have said fuck the U.S., but uh, most decorated unit. Uh, I don't know if all time anymore, but definitely in World War II. And I believe they had the most uh, accommodations. I should have looked harder into it. 442nd, I believe. 440? I, sorry, numbers are hard for me. Um, but yeah, they were badass in Germany. They fucked shit up. But yeah, just wanted to get that out there. I was going to add to the uh, Filipinos that were homies with the Mexicans farming and stood alongside Cesar Chavez. Shout out to those guys. I think the other thing too is maybe something we missed in our last episode is how much more enriched United States is for these many cultures. I mean, talk about obviously. I think one of the biggest ones is food. Oh um, yeah. We talk about cuisine of all these countries, uh, of many Asian countries, of Latino and Hispanic countries, of African countries, of indigenous peoples. Um, which is funny because indigenous people were eating all this food before we even got here, but uh, or at least from food from the United States, like turkeys and shit. But uh, I think it's just. The more you diversify, the more enriched your experience is. And I think having so many people being able to contribute to the United States and say, hey, we did that, um, is something that should not be overlooked. Um, being able to say, hey, we did that, we made that work, we did all those things. Again, should not be overlooked. We couldn't go over every single detail, every heroic act, every contribution uh, that these cultures have given, but we at least acknowledge that they have done so much great things in the United States. Um, and I guess one of the major things to bear in mind when listening to these episodes is one of the things that does make America and can make it great is allowing these contributions to occur and acknowledging that they are as integrated a part of the United States history and society um, as any other person is. Um, and I think that's one of the big things that I, I always have the most issue with when I see people trying to exclude them. Um, and, and Bryce knows this. You know, one of my strength scores or strength tests came back because I'm an includer. Uh, and I 
absolutely have known that since I was a little kid. So I think seeing that, I always take it personally when people are excluded from these things. Uh, what else was I going to say? Uh, I just wanted we to correct really, myself. We didn't get oh. into reparations. We didn't talk about reparations. We'll have to come back to that another time. I just wanted to correct Re- myself and say it was the 4042nd Regimental Combat Team. Uh, we didn't get into that. We'll have to, get, we'll have to come back to that. Yeah, man. But, I mean, I, look, guys, I think we did our best in trying to cover, you know, a very, very general piece of American, African-American and Asian-American experiences, per se, within America. Maybe why they feel a certain type of way. Maybe, you know, just to open your horizons, do some research, you know, try to just, you know, maybe again, see how people put your feet in other people's shoes. You know, go meet them too. Yeah, go meet Seriously. them. You know, go, go have a them. conversation. Go have a human conversation. Yeah. yeah. And then you can stun them like me when I talk about how I know how the Church of Latter day Saints is called for Mormons or that my players that I coach that are Hindu that can't eat meat, right? Certain red meats and stuff like that. Yeah. Just learn more about the culture. It's fun, man. It really is. You get to talk more, you get to interact more. Um, I think one of the things for me personally, and I talk about this episode, I want to mention before we end this is from a historical perspective, while the Philippines have not had the exact same history as Mexico, culturally speaking, we get along so well because of the Spanish's influence in our cultures, shared family beliefs, in a lot of ways, influence in our language, our cuisine, and certain things in our religion uh, that we get along so well. Um, so shout out to the Filipinos. Yeah. Always yeah. good connection. And I th- I don't know if we talked about this last episode, you know, to all the other uh groups in America, you know, Middle Eastern Americans, uh Pacific Island Americans. Again, we really just haven't spoke on uh your guys' experiences because we don't really have a first hand knowledge or someone we really have in our friend group per se. Um anybody that's listening to this pod, if you guys really want to talk about it. Hit us up on Instagram. We'd be more than happy to do an episode and to talk about your guys' experiences in America, contributions. You know, the same. Honestly, I, I doubt the experiences are that different and varying compared to all the other minorities we've talked about. Because America, the land of minorities, tends to treat minorities not so great all the time. So, you know. But yeah, please feel free to hit us on Instagram. DM us. Hit us in a comment. We'd be more than happy to collaborate do an episode, bring awareness. Anybody that's listening to this that you feel like we missed something, again, DM us. We'd probably be pretty open to doing another episode and talking about whatever you guys felt like we missed or didn't cover you know, appropriately. So just wanted to put that out there again. We know this episode's not perfect. We know it doesn't do everybody justice per se, but you know, again, we're doing our best to cover as much as we can, as best we can. But Eddie, any final words you'd like to say? Like I said, diversity is strength because you get to blend together the many strengths of different groups and in doing so, you cover your ass the most and you get to enrich your perspective as well. I mean, who doesn't like as we, as we trend towards a more heterogeneous, generous, generous society, recognize that that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, diversity is power. Whether you like it or not, I mean, I think it was, it's what makes us, in my opinion, 
our ability to have the diversity we have is what makes America, in my opinion, maybe more special than any other country. This is just, that's my own personal opinion. I was going to say, also it's on our money and everywhere. E pluribus unum. Mm-hmm. If you want to speak on that, then be about it and accept this diversity, please. Otherwise, you're really not living up to these founding principles of the country. Yeah. 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 I think, again, just keep an open mind, guys. Hey, you don't, you, you know, I get you don't know what you don't know, but, you know, at least try to expand and try to learn as much as you can and try to meet new people and, you know, make friends. Let's all be friends. Yeah. But hey, this has been uh, Struggling with the Bums. Like I said earlier, check us on Instagram, T H E underscore B U M S. Check out the website, www.strugglingbums.com. Um, hope this episode was everybody likes it. Please feel free to rate us on Apple. I guess that's the thing now. We got to try to start getting our rating up on Apple and Spotify. Feel free to comment on when we do post the Instagram. And have a great day, Bums. We'll see you later.